begin. Um, so, Parshas Nitzavim has the singular potential. Nitzavim, well, really, Nitzavim Vayelach and Hazim will all do, I guess, theoretically. We have a much better shot of finishing the Parsha and Parshas Nitzavim than we have since, oh, I don't know, Genesis, because it's really short. So, like, we might actually get through it, and that would be a miracle in its own right. So we're on page 1086, and we have just now finished, we have just now finished discussing the Brachos and the Kolos and our reason with Evil, and we wrapped that up, and we said that that was uh, closing the parentheses that began in Parshas Re'eh when it introduced the concept of Hargrizim and Har Evil. And uh, we shall see that that, that that parenthesis continues to close in this Parsha, as we will see at the end of this Parsha. So it capped the idea of Hargrizim and Har Evil, but, but we're going to see that it's going to do something else as well. So, Atem Nitzavim Ayom Kulchem You are standing here, all of you today, before Hashem your God. Rosheichem, Shifteichem, Ziknechem, Vishotreichem, Kol Ish Yisrael. The heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, uh, your small children, your women, the, the proselyte the proselyte who is in the midst of your camp, from the hewer of your wood to the drawer of your water. Um, I, I, I guess the point is everyone is here. Yes, wood, cho- wood hewers and water drawers. They're not wood choppers, they're hewers. Well, that one is a more modern text than mine, because mine is only circa like 2011, and apparently people still said hew. Um, now, a few a few problems with these psukim. First of all, it says, you're all standing here today. What did you mean by you are all? Atem nitzavim hayom kulchem. Well, it's not all the generations. Kulchem is, is you, like you guys. Y'all, y'all, as they say in the South. So... It, it says you are all standing here, and then it proceeds to break down who you are, who you all means. So lest you think that all of you means all the people that are here, without enumerating, we're going to enumerate. You know, it almost makes you feel as though you could have just enumerated without saying all of you, and you'd have known that that is kind of a, a rather inclusive list, or you could have just said all of you, and you know that all of you is inclusive of any segment of the population. Why does it do both? Why does it say that it's kulchem, all of you, and then enumerate who it is that is in all of you? Uh, I mean, you could say that it's telling you who all of you are. Maybe. I mean, I don't know why you don't know that from, from Safer by Midbar, right? Oh, hello. Like, all of a sudden, you figure this out in Parsons and Southern. But anyway, that's, a pro- that's problematic. Furthermore, it says, Rashechem, Shiftechem, Ziknechem, Veshotrechem. And you'll notice that the article translates Rashechem, Shiftechem as the heads of your tribes. Well, obviously, Rashechem, Shiftechem does not mean the heads of your tribes. It means your heads, and it means your tribes. So why would Arscroll come up with something like that? The answer is, he didn't. He stole it from Rashi. Because Rashi says, Rashechem, Shiftechem. And the second line in the, in the right-hand column, Rashi says, Rashechem, Lishiftechem, the heads for your tribes. Well, I mean... That's cool, except why didn't the Torah say what Rashi says? Like, why didn't it say that? Why didn't it just say? In fact, you know how you could have said Rashechem Lishifteichem in fewer letters? You could have said Rashechem. Rashechem means Rashim Lishifteichem. So you could have used fewer letters to say precisely the same thing that Rashi says it's saying when it says Rashechem Shifteichem. So I wonder about this Rashi, and I have for a very long time. I don't know why he says what he says. Um, furthermore, Rashechem uh, means your heads, and Shittachem means your tribes. The Torah is being very tricky. The Torah is not tricky. The Torah is telling you what you need to know, and it's clear. If there was an easier way to say it, as we often talk about, if there was an easier or better way to say what it said, it would have said that thing. So this is the only thing that it could have said. Well... What would it mean? Let's pretend that we've never seen the Rashi and that we've, we, we're not operating under the Art Scrolls translation. Why would you what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, what would that mean, right? It doesn't mean anything. It's incoherent. Yeah, right. So, so you're saying perhaps 
that the, the impetus for, for Rashi to say that Roshechem Shiftechem means Roshechem Shiftechem is because if it didn't mean that, if it meant what the Torah says, then it doesn't make sense because the Shiftechem are comprised of individual people. So that, that makes a lot of sense. The problem is it doesn't make sense. That's the problem. Because the Torah still says it funny. You can't get out of what it says. It says, Roshechem Shiftechem. So you're like, okay, but I have a problem. Fine, you have a problem. So you have a question. Because of the question, you're going to say that it doesn't mean what it says. That's not a good reason to say it doesn't mean what it says. You got a question. What's your question? Your question is, what's the difference between saying Shiftechem and Kol Ish Yisrael? Well, I don't know. Have you noticed there's an order to this? Well, what would the order be? It will do that. It will explicitly do that. It has not yet, but it will do that in, in four sentences or so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Again, it will it will say that explicitly, Asa Sher, and then it will deal with that. But but more importantly, you wouldn't. There's no reason to think that Shiftechem, your tribes, all of a sudden means the future tribes who haven't been born yet. There's just there's no reason to, to think that it says that. Um, let's pretend for a moment that we didn't have the benefit of the arts, when we didn't have the benefit of the Rashi, and we were forced to read the Pasuk as it is. What would you say it means? Roshechem means your heads. Who are your heads? They are, the, you, notice, you know, a, you would think that a Melech would probably be, you know, a Rosh of some sort. And you would think that a Kohen Gadol would probably be a Rosh of some sort. And you would think that a Meshuch Mochama would be like a Rosh of some sort. And you might even think that a Navi would be a Rosh of some sort. And I think you'd probably be right. So why would the Torah say your heads as opposed to specifying who your heads are? Well, because the point is that they are your heads. The point is not the specificity. So it's almost, it's funny because it's saying two things. It's being highly specific by enumerating all these categories on the one hand. On the other hand, it's lumping together your heads, right? And your heads are not, they're not even in the same tribe because your heads from Judah would be the king and your head from Levi would be the Kohen Gadol. And, and then after him, Moshua Mohammed, and then your head, I mean, the Navi could be from, you know, from any tribe. But let's, again, let's just think that it means exactly what it means. So Roshichem are your heads. Whoever, whomever, I think, uh, represents the nation. That's, your, that's what your head means. Your head is the one who represents you the most. Shiftechem, um, your tribes. There's, I, I suspect, and I'm not, I'm not sure about this, but I suspect that we're dealing with, with various identity pieces or pieces of the national unit that have their own identity. When it says Shiftechem, your tribes, there is a, an emergent... Uh, not mood, that's not the right way of saying it. Identity. There's a, an emergent tribal identity that is represented in your tribe outside of the individual, but the, the mass itself. And then there's Ziknechem, who are your elders. Again, they're not, they're not specific to any one tribe. You can have 20 from one and two from another. Um, but they, they, uh, represent the nation in a different way. And their role is different than the heads. The Ziknechem, the elders, are not the heads. They're not political, or at least they should not be political. The uh, Shotrechem, and then there are the people who keep order. Because Shotrim, as we've already seen from Parshas Kisese, can mean at least two things. It means they're the ones who are responsible for where the rubber hits the road, keeping the social order. And after that, Kol Ish Yisrael, every individual person. So what would be the difference between saying Shiftechem and Kol Ish Yisrael? One is a tribal identity and one is an individual identity. Kol Ish Yisrael means you and it means me. Actually, it doesn't mean you, because you're in a Shechem, we'll get to you. Um, but, uh, and I, I'm not so sure that I would constitute what the Torah considers to be Ish anyway, but at least, you know, genetically. Um, yeah. And then it continues. Tabchem, your children. Neshechem, your wives. Vigercha, the sojourner, who is within your midst. Everyone, 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 everyone. Uh huh. You're not surprised that it says. Men before children? No, no that doesn't surprise. <laughs> nope, not surprised at all. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah, you, exactly. Well, you know, insults are generally a, a consequence of expectations. Um, so, as I tell my students often, you have the right to be offended. You also have the right to not be offended.
it's really up to you. Um, now, why would you say all of you and then enumerate? Uh, unless you're trying to draw attention to the fact that this is what constitutes all of you. Well, why is that, why is that important to point out? I know we're all here. Where else would we be? We're, we're sitting in the desert. I mean, wherever one of us goes, we all go. So why is it pointing out the togetherness and the, and the uh, compartmentalized aspect of it at the same time? Well, how is it humanizing? Oh, yeah. You guys really want to go there. All right. Well, okay. So let me cap this and we'll go there. So, yeah. Amen. Amen. I could not agree with you more. Yeah. 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 So if, if you recall what we've been, what we've been building towards over the past Sefer, from the beginning of Devarim until, until the, the apex of Mount Grisim and Mount Aval, is the fact that a society has to work in an integrated fashion on every single level. And if you have a problem on any level, the whole thing will come down. Yes, yes, it's exactly, it is the natural progression from that. So now that I've described to you, I being Moshe, not I sprung, um, now that I've described to you what will happen if you do this or if you do that, this is what it takes. So he frames the future. He frames the way that the world talks to you. And then he says, now look at yourselves. The word kulchem, kol, all of you. It doesn't mean all of you are here. It means the allness of you. The allness of you is here. This is the entirety of Yisrael. Literally from top to bottom. From the king to the Sho'ev Mayim and everything in between. And nobody gets a pass. And nobody, nobody is insignificant. People are so significant that they can keep the whole thing tumbling down even on the, you know, the, the janitorial level. It doesn't have to be from the CEO's office. Top to bottom, bottom to top. Why are you all here? To bring you through in this, in this covenant. Which covenant? What covenant? We're making another covenant? Yeah. It's the covenant we spoke about last week. If you recall, one page since, on page 1084, um, Pasuk uh, 69, I think we mentioned this, but if we didn't, I apologize. These are the words of the covenant that Hashem commanded Moshe to cut with the Jews in the land of Moab, aside from the first bris that he, that he had cut with them on Har Sinai. This is that bris. Well, what's the difference between the first bris and the second bris? Why do you require a new testament? Why do you require a new covenant? The reason is because there's an individual. Yeah, we did talk about this. Well, there's, because there's the individual and there's the community. So God is put. Now, what's the difference between a bris and an Allah? In Allah, they translate as imprecation. So I actually looked up what the word imprecation means. It just means curse. It's, that's not what an Allah means. Um, I, I'm not totally certain about what Allah means, but it doesn't mean curse. That's what Klala means. So Allah is something other than that, and, and I'm unclear about it. I was speaking to the rabbi about it on Shabbos, and he wasn't clear about it either. So sorry about that. We're screwed. And if you guys have a better answer for what Allah means, like a very, very precise answer for what an Allah is, I would pay you uh, dollars for that. So Hashem is putting you into this into this consequential. I say consequential not as in important and significant, but as in it has consequences. Hashem is entering you into this consequential bris that based upon what you do, you're going to be his nation and he's going to be your God. And not just you, not just with you am I cutting this bris today and this imprecation today. And here we are in Pasuk which is where you want to go. Because with those who are in fact here together standing with us today before Hashem our God. And also those who are not here today. Oh yeah, that's the ninety-eight psukim of, of curses. Elad <laughs> bris. The bris, well, the, you know, the blessings too. Uh, but but everyone remembers the curses more because you went to Disney and you went to Auschwitz. You remember Auschwitz better. So, um, um, I don't mean if you visit Auschwitz. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, regardless of personality, you that that those those memories stick with you. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, 
So God makes a covenant with all the Jews that will ever be born. This is great. This is wonderful. This is why Jews who are in eighth grade, who like learn a little bit, they get so far missing. They get so bitter about it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I want, I'm going to, hey, this is good. See, because I know that there's no way in heck that anyone from my family is going to listen to this. So I can tell you this. Okay. Um, my man, I don't know if it's great, great, or if it's great, great, great grandfather on my father's side put in his will, in his tzava, that uh, he expects that all of his descendants will finish, I think it's Shas Mishnayas, um, for his site every year, and again for his wife's site every year. Uh, and when I was a kid, you know, like, that's that's what we would do, right? Like, you'd be allocated your Mishnas, and you would learn it for uh, Zaidi someone. I, I don't know his name. Um, we weren't close. And uh, and then at some point, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I was like, no, no, no. Like I, I don't want to. Why do I have to? Oh, because he said so. So what he said, he accepted upon me. You don't get to accept upon me. How do you accept upon me? Now, if he had left me money, <laughs> you know, if he had said, listen, Shlomo, here's $3 million. I want you to learn Shania's from my yard set every year. I'd be like, Zadie, what color roses would you like? <laughs> but, but, and again, it, look, I, I'm for sure going to burn in hell for this. My father, when I told him, remember the first time when I told him I wasn't doing it anymore, he told on me. He told on me to my Bubby. He told Bubby Lily. I got a call from Bubby Lily. I'm telling you, this is the craziest moment. It's like surreal. I get a call from Bubby Lily. So first of all, you get a call from Bubby Lily. She doesn't call. Like, you're supposed to call Bubby. Bubby doesn't call you. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know? So I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, Bubby. And she goes, there was no, like, hey, Shlomo. She goes, my grandfather was a wonderful man. And I'm like, What? My grandfather was a wonderful man. Okay. And then I understood. My father told on me to his mother. Unbelievable how families work. It's amazing. The point is, you can't make your descendants do anything unless there's a trust involved and there's a contingency involved. That's it. And all of a sudden, my great 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 grandfather's ba 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 ba, three thousand three hundred years ago spoke to Hashem and was all like, "Okay, yeah, my descendants for sure, no shrimp, whatever. I don't want. They don't need shrimp. They don't need shrimp. Yeah, because you're in a desert bum. There's no shrimp. I'm sure you would love some shrimp. I'm not even a seafood guy, but pork, I can get behind bacon. I can get behind that." And all because of this Zadie? All because of this Zadie? He's going to limit me on who I get to marry and where I get to go and what I get to say and what I get to eat and with whom I get to eat it and the bushel wine. Don't get me started. <laughs> I mean, where do you get off on this? All of you are implicated in this. No. Well, the answer is, I think, incredibly simple. And, uh, and very empowering or depressing, depending upon whether you're you or Tevya. So as Tevya says, I know we're the chosen people, but can't you choose somebody else for a little while? Right. <laughs> so here's, here's what Tevya is saying, and here's why it's so true. Here's why it's so true. If, if you make a deal with somebody... You can't force me to do that deal because I wasn't there. So you, it's not enforceable. Even though the Scientology contracts, they make you sign for a billion years. It's unbelievable. And it just shows you how, anyway, whatever. We don't need to go down that particular door right now. Uh, that does not work. But do you know what does work? Like what's so effective? A hundred percent of the time. It's batting a thousand. Physics. Physics works every time. Without fail. Physics never doesn't work. It's amazing. It's amazing how it works. 
Do you know why this bris is un is is not malleable? Do you know why this bris is ir- this bris is irreversible? Do you know why this bris covers every single generation forever and ever? Because it's an Allah. It's an Allah. That's what the Allah means. The Allah is a vow. It's a shvua that has a consequence, meaning it is built into physics. It means, see, so here's the, this concept is hard for people to understand because we don't, we don't experience the world that way. So let, let's go on a 180 second tangent because we know all these things already. We're just going to take some things that we know and put them together and we're looking at things perhaps a little bit differently. You know that the world that you see is not the world. Like that's obvious to you. You know that, you know that, you know that this is 99% empty space right here. But it doesn't matter because it doesn't act that way with us. I don't experience this desk as empty space. I don't experience it as protons, neutrons, and electrons. I experience it as a desk. Fine. So we understand that there's a, there's a discrepancy between how we experience the world and what the world is. We know that. We also know, we also know that the entire world is built on cause and effect. Everything. Without exception. Without exception. There's no such thing as a coincidence in this world. You just don't have the data to, to, uh, you don't have the data to input and you don't have the processing power to output. So you don't have a, a determinism machine. But if you did, then you'd be able to figure out why it was that that leaf fell down and not that leaf. You'd be able to tell that. So you live in a world of cause and effect. And yet you don't think that it makes any sense at all that the cause and effect that happens with physics can extend to your actions? You don't think so? You think that cause and effect is only if you throw a baseball at a glass at a, at a glass window? You don't think cause and effect is if you keep Shabbos, then you'll have peace in your land? That's what the bris is. We don't see it. Doesn't make any sense. What's the connection between keeping Shabbos and not getting Katusha rockets thrown at your head and stay wrote? I don't see any connection there. I don't see a connection between wrapping tefillin and bus bombs. I don't see a connection between not telling Lashon Hara and cancer patients. I don't see any of these connections. And yet, and yet, that's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. It's saying that your physical health and your national geopolitical realities and your economy is based upon your actions, not weather patterns, your actions. And if it's based upon, if it's, if it's embedded into the fabric of the universe and it's real, well, you know what that means? It means you can't run away from it. It doesn't matter if you weren't there. It doesn't matter. See, because the analogy isn't whether or not Shlomo is going to learn ex Mishnayis in memory of Zaydi Avramcha. What it is more akin to saying is, I have the sprung nose because of Zaydi Avramcha. And try as I may, I can't avoid that short of surgery. And even if I was to do surgery to fix this nose, I can go to Gary tomorrow. I can go to Gary tomorrow. He's a friend of mine. I said, Gary, do me a favor. Could you make me look like Brad Pitt, please? And he'd say, like Brad Pitt? No. Can I fix your nose? Yes. Yes, he could fix my nose. But you know what the funny thing is? My kids would still have the nose. Because just cosmetic, right? So that Zadia Vrumcha can, can input, right? Regardless of that. Meaning you are what you are. You can't escape it. You can't escape what you are. But now take it to the next level. The whole bris is, of course, revolving around Eretz Yisrael, which we've mentioned many times, and it needs to be said again. What's the big deal about Eretz Yisrael? Like, seriously, what's the big deal? Who wants this land to begin with? The answer is that land is responsive. So we're talking about a responsive world based on your actions, top to bottom in a society, on two brisos, one on an individual level, one on a national level. And here is God saying, I swear to you that if you do this, this will happen. And if you do that, that will happen. Don't believe me? Try it. Try me. Oh, but you didn't accept it. That's right. Do you know what else I did not accept? Gravity. Gravity. I never got a chance to sign on the line that is dotted as to what rate the footballs that I throw will descend at. No one asked me. 
Exactly. Physics. Physics. Only personal agreements which you have the determination of yes or no can you not obligate somebody else. That's it. But genetics, but physics, that doesn't move at all. And therefore, there are many, many Farbissiner Jews who never would have gotten into this covenant, maybe. That's true. But they're stuck, man. It's the worst. It's the worst. This, of course, answers. It, this answers another very good question, I think, and that every, that every semi-intelligent Jewish eighth grader has thought to his or herself. He says, I don't understand. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know, if I, let's say I'm brought up uh, Mormon. And I said I want to be Jewish. Actually, a good friend of mine. This week, she just became Jewish. Super, super exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very exciting, very exciting. Wonderful lady. Um, so, like, I, you're right. I'm Mormon. I'm a Mormon, and I want to be Jewish. No problem. I go to the rabbi, and, uh, you know, I, I sit through grueling, uh, whatever, awful, awful times for two years. And then, and then I become a Jew. And now we're like, oh, cool. You're not a Mormon anymore. You're a Jew. But when's the last time you had your friend from Yeshiva, and he goes to Salt Lake City, and he said, I'd like to be a Mormon. And he gives $50,000 to the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they bestow upon him Mormonhood, and they hand him a book and a backpack. And then he comes home for Thanksgiving dinner, and they're like, no, Yankee, make a bracha. And he says, what do you mean make a bracha? I'm not Jewish, I'm a Mormon. Yeah, yeah, Yankee, okay, come on, here's the Yamaka, make a bracha. See, but I'm not Jewish, I'm a Mormon. Yankee, 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 Yankee. I know, I know you're Mormon, but you're Jewish. How come it only goes one way? not fair. How come you can convert from Christianity to Judaism, but not Judaism to Christianity? So, of course, what does every Jew, what does every Jew think? Isn't that, what does every Jew think? I think it's a double standard. Obviously, it's a double standard, because we are right. We're right. So, if you convert to Judaism, like, that's final. But you can't convert down. Like, that, that's what people think. You know why they think this? Because they have no understanding of what Judaism is. At all. They think it's a religion. So, that's why they think there's that discrepancy. What is the truth? The truth is that it is physics. Judaism has nothing to do with what you believe at all. At all. How many atheist Jews do you know? All of them. <laughs> what do you mean? Right? This is, nobody cares what you believe. Right? No matter what you believe. You're Jewish. Because it's not a religion. It's genetic. It's what you are. Literally what you are. If it's what you are and you believe in Jesus Christ or Joseph Smith, or Allah, good for you! So you're a Jewish Buddhist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you not Jewish. There's nothing to do with that. That's why. And that's why you can obligate people going ad infinitum. Because, you know, the monkey gives birth to the monkey. <laughs> We're monkeys. Sorry. Yes. Uh -huh. I'm using them interchangeably. Okay, but, okay, to a degree, because physics is something that could literally be studied, mm -hmm. and, or people have studied mm -hmm. physics, mm -hmm. and, and they could see certain rules. Right. But right. where is the... Where, where would you see it, right? Where would you see these, right? Where would you see this? How would I prove this? Where does it where does it manifest? That's great. So I'll show you. I'll show you. Let's let's take a look at the end of the parsha. Let's look at the end of the parsha, page ten ninety two. Meaning again, I think the whole parsha is really about this, but let's just because it it puts it into very very stark terms. Page ten ninety two. Pasuk 15, Re'e, see, Nasati lefanecha hayom, I put before you today, Es hachayim ve'es the life and the good, ve'es hamoves ve'es hora, and the death and the evil. By the way, you remember that we mentioned the beginning of the shir that there's going to be another closing of parentheses from Parshas Re'e? You just saw it. How does Parshas Re'e begin? Re'e anofi nosenof nechem hayom bracha uklala. The bracha is Asher Tishmu, Lo Tishmu, and the Haya when you kisavo el haaretz that I'm going to give you. And then the Torah again goes into an unzipping of what that means, and then it recaps it in last week's parsha with the actual return to Hargrizim and Harival, and now we cap it again. Re'e. 
So do you see now? So can you see now? Do you see the life and the good? Now, and if you don't listen, and if you don't listen, and then I will tell you, look at verse 18. hayom. I've told you today, ki you will be lost. You will be lost. You, you are not long for the land. Don't think that this is going to be a thousand year deterioration. Don't think this is going to be the slow burn of the Pax Americana. No, no. No, no. It will be abrupt. This is the answer to your question, I believe. I call as witnesses on you today the heaven and the earth. Life and death I've put before you. The blessing and the curse. And you shall choose life so that you will, so that you can live and your children. What does it mean? I have caused to testify in you the heavens and the earth. What does it mean to testify? It means, oh, why should I believe that this is true? Maybe it's all made up. Maybe it's a joke. Maybe it's a lie. Maybe it's a well-meaning power grab. I don't know. It could be a lot of things. <laughs> Here are my witnesses. I call heaven and I call earth. We'll see this again in Hazinu. Why do I call heaven and earth? Because they'll be around. They'll be around. Yeah, so the, if the question is, if the question is, how will you see in the physics, right? That was her question, right? How will you see in the physics? The answer is, you will starve or you will prosper. You will be destroyed or you will thrive. You will be totally barren or you will be totally exploding at the seams. Don't believe me? Look at Jewish history. Look. Look at Jewish history. I mean, listen to this Parsha. This Parsha is, this this Parsha will jar you. Like, it will shake you. Look at page, look at page 1090. Parsha, unbelievable. Page 1090. It's the beginning of chapter 30, the first Pasuk. It will be. It will be when all of these things happen to you. The blessing and the curse. That I put before you. And you will take it to your heart among all the nations where Hashem your God has dispersed you. Now, I want you to just for one second, because again, like there's, there's no point if you're not going to put yourself there. It's talking to you, you're supposed to put yourself there. So you close your eyes and you transport yourself for a moment to a day in the Moab Hills overlooking the, the Jordan River. And you have this mighty convocation of, of just tons and tons of people. And Moshe's giving his magnum opus. And he's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your descendants who will live thousands of years after you. That's what he says to them. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now listen to what he says. It will be. When all of these things happen to you, the blessing and the curse, they both will happen to you. And it will be when it happens to you, it'll return to your heart in all the nations that Hashem has pushed you there. Nations that Hashem has pushed you there? Are you telling me that we're not going to be together as a cohesive unit? Are you? No, you're not. I'm telling you that God's going to scatter you all over the planet. Oh, please, what kind of a ridiculous thought is that that is such a strange strange really this is what's good this is your prognostication and we're going to come back what's going to happen you'll return to Hashem your God and you'll listen in his voice like all I'm commanding you today you and your children with all your heart and all your soul what's going to happen Hashem will return your remnant and love you. Vishav, and He will return. And He will 
gather you from all the nations that he scattered you there. I mean, how likely does that sound? If you are left in the corner of the heavens, like, oh, I don't know, Yemen. From there he'll gather you. And I'll take you from there. And he'll bring you to the land that your fathers inherited, and you'll inherit it. He'll make you greater and more blessed than them. This is what he's telling them. This is what he's saying. He's standing there looking and he's like, you guys are all going to screw everything up. And the whole thing's going to go kablooey. You're going to go everywhere. You'll be dispersed everywhere. And then finally, you'll get it through your thick skull when all of it happens to you, the bracha and the klala. And you'll see it. And you'll see it. Finally, you'll figure out that it's the same darn story all the time. Jews have two settings, on and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So we'll talk about that very, very soon. We'll talk about that next on the, the dots over Lanu Vanenu. Oh, that might be a different question. That's a different question. Yes. What we're talking nationally. Yeah. Right. All true. All true. We're looking at this from a national lens, not an individual lens. Yeah. Yes. Um, and if you look again, if you look at Jewish history, what you're not going to see, you're not going to see uh, Micronesia. You're not going to see Canada. The Jewish state will never be Canada. It won't. The Jewish state will never be like just another country. It just it won't. Well, it almost was Uganda. Herzl yeah. would have loved it. Um, it's okay. Idi Amin found a way to get a plane loaded Jews there. So. It's Jewish history. You have two settings. You're on top or you're on the bottom. That's it. And how are you going to know? Because you're going to see. So when we said that Tevye before, right, it's, it's the same idea. He's like, well, why can't you just choose somebody else once in a while? Because physics don't change. You know, it, it said in last week's Parsha, this is something that we, we didn't have time to to hit, and I didn't get to hit it with the men either, but um, it's a shame. It says at least twice in last week's Parsha, Ulusitcha Elyon, al which means that Hashem says, I will make you supreme. I don't know of a better word for Elyon than supreme. I think it really does mean supreme. Um, over all the nations of the world. And you read that and you think to yourself, oh, goody. Oh, goody. Because, you know, Jews want to conquer the world. Huh? Like, listen, man, all the BDSers aside, okay? We know we don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you ever met a Jew that was like, we must conquer Lebanon? Never. Never. Like, leave me alone. I'm trying to figure out Modine. Okay? I don't want Lebanon. I don't want Egypt. I certainly don't want Morocco. I don't want it. No thanks. God's going to put you supreme. That's not what that means. It's not at all what that means. I don't think. What it means that he makes you El Yon is, I think, the same, mamish the same, mamish like the same, it's the same word that we talk about Hashem, El El Yon. El El Yon. He is the supreme God. Really? You say in your Shemona that God is the supreme God? You know, not to be confused with the other gods that we believe in who are less than supreme. That's not what that means. It means that he is on a different plane of existence than that's what supreme means. It does not mean stronger than. It does not mean greater than. It does not mean in charge of. It does not mean better than. It means separate plane of existence. Not functioning on the same wavelength of. That's what it means. A human being is not better than a tree. He's not better than a tree. It's just not. It's also not worse than a tree. He is elyon upon a tree. 
He is on a different plane of existence than the tree, despite the fact that, again, on a molecular level, you are identical to the tree. Atomic level. That's what it means. It means that you are no longer playing by the same rules as humanity. You are something else. It's Ulusitcha Elyon, which means, which means that your Elyonness, your supremeness, your otherness has to be evident at all times. And it will be. And it will be evident on one of two ways. Either it will be evident because you're on top or it will be evident because you're on the bottom. Because it's just as evident when you're on the bottom. Why? So, you know, I, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a, uh, a talking head today. Um, and he was talking about the, uh, what China's doing to the Uyghur Muslims, which is like despicable. And we have, we have video. Like, we have video of this. And he actually, and I, to his credit, because I totally agree with this, he's like, I'm calling out Israel. Because I'm calling out Israel. You guys should say something. He's not a Jewish guy. It's like, you guys should say something. Because when you have pictures of people being rounded up by the government because they're a certain ethnicity and put in blindfolds and hurdle and, and herded onto cars, you should say something. By the way, duh. Duh. Of course. And then he, he went into this, uh, rant about how, like, China is basically Nazis, and now there's now a hashtag, Chinazis, which is quite clever. Um, and and I'm I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking number one, I could not agree with you more. Number two is the worst analogy on planet Earth. It's awful. Now you can't have this discussion with people because then they think that you're saying to them, "My pain's worse than your pain." That's a stupid thing to say. It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, who's worse? The guy that, you know, I don't need to give you examples. So why is it so bad? It's so, it's so bad because it belies a very, very deep ignorance about what the Holocaust is. And I want to take this guy to Yad Vashem so he can see what it is. Why? Because it's totally understandable that the Hutus and the Tutsis hate each other. Totally understandable. I get it. I understand why I understand why you would want to kill your enemies, men, women, and children. I get it. I get that. War is old. If you learn a little bit about Holocaust, you will see it's not the same at all. At all. And this is why, this is why when you go to Yad Vashem and you see what the Germans did, you're like, no one has ever done this to anyone else ever in the history of the world. Because why would you? So silly thing. I mean, we can, we can commit a genocide. Genocides are a dime a dozen. Genocides are a dime a dozen. Holocaust, not a dime a dozen. Point is, the Holocaust is just as much an indication of your supremeness um, as being the startup nation. You are playing on a different level. Now, let's let's address Caroline's point because I think it's a great point. Um, at the very, very top of 1090, the, this, this idea ends when, when Moshe says, Hanistaros ladonai loheinu vahaniglos lonu ulevaneinu adolam naasosos kol divrei atorazos. The, the hidden sins are for Hashem our God, and the open sins, the revealed sins, are for us and our children forever to do all of this Torah. You'll notice over the lanu and the vanenu are dots. There are dots. Why are there dots? The Torah does not have punctuation. It's almost like, oh, someone underlined these two words in the Torah or highlighted them or put them in italics. Uh, the Torah does not italicize anything. And yet, in a Torah scroll, there are dots over Lanu Ulevanenu. That cannot be an accident. It must be telling you something very, very fundamental about the nature of whatever it is that's going on here. So Rashi explains that Lanu Ulevanenu means that we are not, despite the fact that Moshe is having this discussion with them before they cross the Jordan, they're not actually going to be responsible for the truth of this statement until they until they cross over and go to Hargrizim and Har Evil. Meaning Hargrizim and Har Evil is the activation button that sets that sets the Arvut, the guarantorship, into uh, into play. Okay, that's great. Um, 
Why would you put dots over one over one anyway again? I don't understand how that answers the question. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Uh, let, let me repeat it. I wasn't clear. I wasn't clear. The the conventional understanding of this shot is in the toilet. It's awful. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say the shot again. I'm going to say what people say. And I'm going to show you why it's so bad. And I'm going to tell you what I think it means. What the Pusik is saying is that we, despite the fact that we accept guarantorship over all of the other Jews, that's only for things that we're aware of. Things that we're not aware of, if your friend has an idol shrine in his closet, that's not on you. God will take care of that. Okay, that's what the Pusik says. Now, the Pasuk in the Torah has dots over the words for us and our children. So the Rishonim explain, why are there dots, says Rashi, to tell you that you're not obligated in this level of guarantorship until you cross over the Jordan River and actually uh, cement and consummate this idea on Harkrizim and Harevo. That's the way that people understand the Pshat. Why is that not true? very frustrating to me. Certainly. So, no, I did not say this. I did not say this. At least I don't think that I said this. I don't think I've ever said it because I'm pretty sure that it just occurred to me. So, that would be akin to saying there's something in this Pusik that does not belong. Uh-oh. Oh, well, here's what it's telling us. That. Telling us that elephants are purple. What does dots over Lanu have to do with you're not obligated till you cross the Jordan? Why would that be the way that you say that you're not obligated in this guarantorship until you sit on Hargrizim and Harimo? Why? So you're saying, oh, well, well, there's dots and they shouldn't be dots. So obviously they're telling me something. So what are they telling me? They're telling me that you're not going to be Chayev. Why would that be the way the Torah tells you that you're not going to be Chayev until you have the bris on our Grisim and our Eval? Why is that how the Torah tells you? What connection could there possibly be between dots over the words us and our children and the fact that you haven't yet made the bris on our Grisim and our Eval? If not to tell you that it's calling attention specifically to those two words, us and our children. What do you mean our children? Our children aren't going to make the bris on our Grisim and our Eval. Future generations. So it's saying that the concept of guarantorship does not apply now until we cross, and it will not apply later until we cross. Lanu ulevanenu. That's the point. Well, why would that be? Why is that true? How come after it's activated the first time, does it not take effect forever? The answer, I think, I think, The whole point, when you say that, that Israel has to, Israel not the country, Israel the entity, has to function on a top to bottom level as introduced in Parsons Nitzavim, literally from the Russian to the Kotez and Meshul That can only apply in a sovereign nation state, by definition. If you have Jews in Chicago and Jews in Baltimore and Jews in Spires and Jews in St. Petersburg and Jews in Melbourne, Australia, they cannot create this guarantorship. It's not possible. The only way for this to be possible is in the land in a time that you're sovereign, by definition. So when you look at the Israeli elections and you say to yourself, and you say to yourself, why can't you get your heads out of your elbows? The answer is simple. So simple. I'm just unbelievable. Because we don't have one vision. That's the whole point. So I saw um, Benny Gann said today, he said, uh, or at least I saw reported today, he may have said it yesterday, that Likud has to get rid of Netanyahu because the people have spoken and they don't want Netanyahu. It's clear that they don't because we won 33 and he won 31. It's clear that people don't want it. Wow, that's the worst math I've ever heard in my life. That's the worst math I've ever heard in my life. You know what it proves? 
Some people don't want him and some people want him. That's what it proves. That's what it proves. The fact that you have Lieberman who says, I won't sit in a government with the ultra-Orthodox. I won't sit in this government. I, I, I'm not taking the side of Shaz or Dego. That is not the point. The point is that you don't have a national entity or any guarantorship whatsoever. You have a fragmented society of 35 different little nation states. Each one wants something else. So they horse trade for political power. And they all agree that they need to stop the rockets. That don't work. It just don't work. Like if you're not if you're not on the same page top to bottom, you will never ever achieve this. Ever. And what will happen? You know, it's unbelievable. It's almost like, what does the Torah say will happen? Well, gee, it says if you leave people in the land, they will be like thorns in your eyes and spears in your sides, and they will cause you problems in your own land. So again, it's such a strange thing to uh, not to prophesize, but, you know, to expect. It's a strange thing to expect. See, in America, in America, at least, at least until recently, if not still, we expect that the strong dominate the weak. The strong dominate the weak. If you're a minority in this country, historically, sucks for you. The strong will beat you. The strong will dominate you. The strong will enslave you. What does the Torah say will happen to you, the strong, the majority, from the tiny, the minority, the weak, that you leave in your country? They will cause you tsaras. They will be thorns in your eyes and spears in your sides. But I'm stronger. Uh-huh. But I'm bigger. Yeah. But there's more. Yeah. What are you not understanding? In fact... For an added layer of irony, we'll call them Philistines. I mean, like, seriously, how is that not the greatest joke of the 20th century? Seriously? You're going to call the enemies of the Jews who live in Gaza Philistines? It's hysterical. It's mamish hysterical. But if you read Navi, it's not hysterical. It's just history. It's like watching I Love Lucy episodes again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. It's the same thing. It's entertaining, but not if you're Ricky. So that, that's why I think it's on the Lanu Ulevanenu. Because it's not possible to have this society unless we have a sovereign nation and unless we're aligned. And that's the true, and that truth will repeat Lanu and Levanenu, which is why it's, you know, spoken about through, that's why the Torah teaches you the lesson in that way. Now, there's another thing that I want to do because I think it's very, very important. Um, I'm sorry that we went out of order. I wanted to go in order, but you know, the best played, the best laid plans of mice and sprung. So let's go to, uh, just for a moment, page 1092. Um, I think this is very germane because we're, we're up, we're coming up on Rosh Hashanah. It says, Because the commandment, this commandment that I command you today is not hidden from you and it is not far. Okay. So the commandment that Moshe is giving us is not hidden and it's not far. Remember those two things. It's not hidden and it's not far. Lova Shemayim He. It's not in the heavens. Lemur, that one would say, who will go up to heaven and take it and teach us so we could do it? And it's not across the oceans. So that someone would say, who will cross this ocean and take it and teach us so we could do it? How many different ways would you like to tell me the same thing? Because, you know... School sometimes got boring for me. I heard you the first time. You said it's not hidden and it's not far. I get it. Why do you give me another two sentences? It's not in the heavens that you would say blah, 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 blah. Okay, good. Got it. And it's not across the ocean. Okay, good, good. And it's not in the trees. I was like, oh, man, I got it. So the, I think that the the... the Two psukim are explaining the first. It's lo nifles velo rechoka. You need both of those. If you didn't need both of those, it wouldn't both be there. The difference between nifles and rachok. Nifles comes from the word pela, which means wonder. 
But again, it's true that it does mean hidden because wonders are hidden, meaning they're not understandable. Right? They don't, they're hidden to your mind. You don't understand how this could be. It's not niflis. And it's not rachok. Rachok is distance. Very, very, uh, uh tangible. So I, I, I always make, yeah, corporeal as opposed to ethereal. Right? Very cor- it's very corporeal. So then the Pasuk says, It's not in the heavens. That someone would say, who can go up to the heavens and get it and teach us to do it? What does that mean? I'm going to tell you. You're not going to like it. We can't know what the Torah is saying. We have to go to our Rebbe. We must go to the holy man who lives on the top of the hill. And we must ask him to show us what it means. It is hidden in the heavens. We need our great master sensei to go into the heavens and bring it to us. God's like, no. Wrong. And it's not far. Oh, we need to go to that city because there's a great scholar there. You know, the scholar and the first guy is not the same. Please do not equate them. The first guy is a shaman and the second guy is is a scholar. Shaman, not scholar. Scholar, not shaman. They're different people. Yes, the shaman is holy and ignorant. The scholar is knowledgeable and he's a jerk. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but it could be. <laughs> right. So it's neither of those two things. Well, then, well, well, why why isn't it those two things? I mean, isn't it those two things? <laughs> like you? Really? So you're telling me, you don't, we don't need Hebrew teachers anymore. You don't know how much money I would save. Seriously, I'm rich. I remember, this was amazing. This was a big moment for me. Um, we were still living in Coral Gables. This is like, this is quite a quite a while ago. Living in Coral Gables, and uh, I used to be as Chatai and Imaskir Hayom. I was a uh, a subscriber to GQ. I used to get GQ um, until they got rid of uh, the style guy, and then I'm like, that's it, it's done for me. You get rid of you get rid of Glenn, I'm out. Um, and they, they started becoming a rag. Anyway, dumb, 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 dumb. you're not interested in that. Here's the point. Here's what you might be. You might be. By the way, by the way, here's what's scary. Here's what's scary. We can go like 10 years back on back issues up until that point and we could talk. So, um, yeah, yeah, seriously. So, uh, so I'm, I'm reading this article and this is before the crash. This is like everything was really, really good. You know, so much money. And there was an article on how you should spend your riches. And it says, if you make between 70 and a hundred thousand dollars a year, you should have this. And if you make between a hundred thousand and fifty thousand, like this is literally like what, what it's doing. It's charting you. And, and, and I'm in the bathroom because that's where you read GQ, right? You, know, you don't read GQ anywhere else. Like, where else would you read it? And, and Yaella hears me like, like laughing, which, I mean, maybe you laugh a lot in, in the bathroom, but I usually don't. Um, and I'm laughing and she's like, what's so funny? I mean, I can't wait to tell you this. Like, yeah, I go, according to GQ, we should have a driver and a personal chef. It was funny. It was funny. Cause, cause if you're a Jew, I shouldn't say if you're a Jew. If you are a from Jew living the way that we live, dude, it doesn't, you are making so much money and it doesn't matter. As, as, as Alan Jacob likes to say, and he's so right, he, he sits in a room with all of us. He's talking to us about the political thing. He goes, you guys are all tuition poor. You're tuition poor. So you can be making mega dollars and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, so here's where I'm getting. Great. Torah says, I don't need a holy guru and I don't need a great scholar. So why can't I just hand my kids the Chumash and they can learn? That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. Well, what do you need to do this? Pasuk says, Kikarove lecha hadavar ma'od. The thing is very close to you. Bificha uvil vavkala asoso. In your mouth and in your heart to do. What's that saying? Saying the only thing, the only thing that you need in order to accept the Torah and to grow in it, is to want to. That's it. That doesn't mean that you'll understand the pshat. No, you, you won't understand the pshat. In order to get the pshat, yeah, you'll have to ask the scholar for the pshat. Like, if you don't know what the word means, then ask Dr. Jastrow what the word means, by all means. 
But that's not the point of the Torah, because contrary to modern common belief, uh, the Torah is not for learning. The Torah is for doing. Um, I, you have to learn in order to do, but the Torah is not something you're supposed to sit around and, and play with, um, but rather it's it's a guide to your life, and it infuses your every mundane action with holiness, and it grows you. For that, you don't need a Rebbe, and you don't need a Rebbe. For that, you don't. Ki lecha hadavar me'od. It is so close to you, man. Beficha. It's all you got to do is say it and want it. That's it. It'll move you. It'll move you. Will you know the pshat? No. No. Not necessarily. Um, but you'll move, which of course shows us that we're not doing our Jewish education properly, because we're concentrating on things that don't necessarily make people excited. Uh, rather, we're concentrating on like building scholars. Um, you know, in, in, in yeshiva, I remember, like, you're, you're a scholar or you're garbage? What's the what? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a matter of dispute, what that means. Because it could be going on the whole Torah, it could be going on our book, it could be going on a lot of things. Um, anyway, this, uh, so, yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. And you understand that the, what we said before, so, Kiya Mitzvah Hazot, um, according to some of the Rishonim, actually means Tshuva. Means tshuva. Tshuva is not far from you. You don't need to go to Uman. You don't need. It's not far. I'm not saying you can't go to Uman. Just saying that you don't need to go there to find tshuva. If it helps you find tshuva, fine. But that's not where tshuva lives. Tshuva lives b'ficha u'bavafa. It's right there. This parsha is always read Rosh Hashanah. Always. Vishav Hashem Vishav Hashem So it's not an accident. In any event, have an amazing week and an amazing Shabbos. And we'll be in touch uh, regarding Rosh Hashanah. Much peace and love.